from flight attendant to flight instructor, to regional pilot, to pilot wife, to mom, and ultimately a real estate agent. Today's story is inspiring, empowering, and make sure you stay to the end where Jill C., my guest, shares not only her story, but her adventure of meeting and flying with Miracle on the Hudson, Captain um, Sullenberger, and also her story of the 99s and inviting Captain Al Haynes from United Airlines to come and speak to their organization. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. Hey, Pilot Wives and Aviators. Jackie Elmer here, and I'm so thrilled to welcome you today as we have some exciting details to share and a great show lined up for you. Now, just a quick reminder, I do have some swag that I'm giving away. So if you will take the time to go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and leave me a review and a five-star rating, and then send me a copy of it, just a screenshot of, of it to Jackie at pilotwifepodcast.com. I'm going to enter you into the drawing for a fabulous wine tumbler. It can have hot pink with the lips and the logo, or you can have a sleek, sophisticated black one. All right. Just wanted to put that little notice in your ear. Now let's listen in as I interview Jill C. So welcome, Jill C., to the program. I'm so thrilled that you're here, and I look forward to hearing your story and sharing it with everybody else. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. And um, I've got uh, tons of experience um, in the airline industry that I'm excited to share with you different um, avenues of experience that I've had. So, And I'm thrilled to bring it forward because I think that stories are such an important part of life, right? It's the, it's the, the thread that weaves life together. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, and how you got started in aviation. Sure. Um, so when I was a young girl, my father um, was in the Army Air Corps. It tells how old I am. And um, <laughs> he um, came home and um, from the war and he bought a small airplane with his friend Eugene. And um, he had a little Piper Cub and he enjoyed, you know, flying it together with his friends and kind of going upside down and being goofy. I don't know. That's the stories I heard. I can't imagine personally now flying in a cub, what that would be like to be upside down. But um, that's what the story I was told. And, you know, as aviation stories can get really good. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> so um, we um, had an airplane when I was little, sat on dad's lap, you know, pulling the stick forward, back, going up, down, loved it. 
And um, my father, you know, I always had this love of flying. And we used to spend days at the end of the runway at Pittsburgh International Airport. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. And I was the kid pretending like I'm the airplane flying, you know, running around in the field. Um, you know, we were either at an airport or uh, a raceway because my dad was into cars, anything fast, airplanes, cars, you know, um, boats. And um, so that was really the, the beginning of my love for aviation. And um, my father died um, just around the time I graduated from high school. And so I wanted to learn to fly. And I remember my mom telling me, go to school and be a nurse or a teacher. You know, she says, I always wanted to be a nurse. Why don't you be a nurse? And so she said, there's no way you can be a pilot. You know, limiting beliefs, right? Yes. And, you know, the place for women. And um, I could remember thinking, no, that's not what I want. So I went to college and I was studying uh, business administration. And um, I came home after my first semester and my mom informed me that I needed to get a job. And I thought, oh dear, because the whole reason for me going to college is because I found out that there was an Air National Guard program and I had snuck off and gone to the guard and asked, how do I get into aviation if I can't afford it? And I thought maybe going through the military route some way might be an, a, my end. And they asked me at the time, and I understand they don't do this all the time, but at that time, they asked me if I had a degree, and um, I did not. And so that's why I signed up for college. <laughs> so um, when my mom told me I need to get a job and not go to school, I didn't want to hear that. So um, I did get a job, and I went back to school at night, and I was working at a hospital, and I went to college at night, and it was a long road. And by the time I finally earned my bachelor degree. I went back over to the guard and it was the month of August. I graduated and I said, yeah, got my, my degree. I'm ready to sign up for these papers for this, you know, flying. What do I need to do? What's the next step? He said, Oh, your birthday was in July. I said, yeah, you know, I just had a birthday. He goes, you're six months too old for our program. Boo. I was so sad. And so I, you know, just went and got U.S. Airways is hiring in my hometown of Pittsburgh. So I'll just go for an interview. So I went with my brother and, you know, about six of our friends went for a big open interview at the hotel. And um, out of all of us, I got selected to come to school to be a flight attendant. I was like, may as well do that. Have a job and pay my way. So I did, I went through flight attendant training and once I got on that airplane, I knew it was the right way. I felt like God had just opened up a door for me because what I learned is that every pilot that I worked with, either when we were sitting on the ground waiting for passengers, you know, on a, or, or just going to an overnight and meeting for, um, to eat, I could ask aviation questions from these pilots that were so smart, you know, the airline pilots of our world. And so that's exactly what I did. I went through pilot training. I paid my way going through a little, um, you know, local airport and um, had the wonderful support of all the airline pilots I worked with at U.S. Airways along the way. So I became a, a flight instructor and then I worked on my multi-engine and I became an air ambulance driver, as they call it. 
And then I went to um, fly, I went to school on a King Air, and then I went, was invited to ground school on a Learjet, and I took my FAA check ride with the, um, on that airplane, the Learjet, and flew that for a while. Now, were you still a flight attendant during all this too? I sure was. Okay. I sure was. I, I was able at U.S. Airways, we had a, um, we, we could work different hours. So we could either have the 65 hour option, a 75 hour option. It was wonderful. Um, and it was held based on seniority. And I was able to hold the lowest number of hours to work. So I basically had to work two hour, um, two weeks a month as a flight attendant. And the rest of my time was spent as a pilot. Wow. So it was just lovely because I had a great, you know, income as a flight attendant that helped me pay my way through everything. Um, my parents, my mom um, helped me a little bit because I would, I started with my private pilot and I'd saved up like, you know, $3,000 say at the time and I paid for it. And then I wanted to start my instrument training, but I didn't have enough money saved up. So I had to stop. And um, my mom helped me, um, you know, with a home equity line of credit on her house so that I could just keep going and pay her every time I got paid. So, um, you know, it was a wonderful way to work through all that. And um, I eventually um, wanted to interviewed with some corporations for corporate flight jobs, you know, because I was ready to not do the flight attendant job anymore. And um, my experience flying corporate was so different than my experience as a flight attendant with all the FAA rules and stuff. And I was like, you know, I see a lot of people kind of, you know, looking past some things. And I, I just really think I'm comfortable at the airline level. And so I went on interviews, I think, with six different companies, um, commuters, and I got um, invitations to work for five of them. And I picked one and um, started flying the Dash 8 as a first officer in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for US Air Express. And, um, you know, that was my, my ticket in to the airline world. And in between oh, there- me, So just quickly, so from the time you started as a flight attendant till you hired as a pilot with US Air Express, I think you called it, what was the time frame? How, how many years had passed? Um, well, let's see. I went to college part-time to get uh, my degree and then- um, I was hired at U.S. Airways in, had my first trip Thanksgiving of 1988. Okay. And um, so I would say that I had my private pilot done um, in 1991. Okay. So I'd worked maybe about two years as a, as a flight attendant and like maybe a year and a half into it, I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely get my pilot license because I can, I can figure out how to afford to do this. Yeah. i save some money. So, um, you know, it was very, very interesting and so much fun. And I would jump off the, you know, jet that pulled up to the gate in Pittsburgh, run into the bathroom, take off my uniform, stuff it in my bag, put my jeans and my sweatshirt on and get on the highway and drive to the small airport and take my flight lessons. And um, the fun part was, is that I was very fortunate, you know, back pre 9-11, I was able to have the opportunity to go into the simulator every once in a while um, at the airline. So um, it was fun to really see how that side of things worked as well. And then it really helped me prepare a little bit for, um, you know, going on those um, interviews with the commuters. So with the regional airlines. So 
Um, you know, every little thing that built one, one thing upon the other, you know, took me to where my next step was going to be. And, you know, I had a lot of um, pilots that were very helpful. One who told me I should just stay home and be a mom, of course. Um, <laughs> which that leads into my next story <laughs> because that's exactly what I did. Um, I um, had gone for an interview at United Airlines. I had accumulated enough hours uh, flying at the regional airline and United had been one of my um, dreams. Mm -hmm. um, my friend um, was a United Airlines pilot. And one day I was visiting her in Colorado and she took me to work with her. And this is all before I became a pilot. And oh boy, I was like a kid in a candy shop in that you know, training center out there in Colorado. And it was the first time I had ever seen weather written, you know, spit it out of a computer. And I'm like, wow, what does this say? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, she was my kind of my mentor. Mm -hmm. And so for me to come full circle years later and go back over to United and, you know, have an opportunity to interview there. And I can remember in between there, I had met my husband um, we have talked very seriously about having a family. And um, one of the things that I thought I had going for me was, believe it or not, you know, they say make um, lemonade out of lemons. And when I was nine years old, I had childhood cancer and I had like a gobs of um, radiation as treatment. And so it rendered me unable to have children. So I thought I was the perfect candidate to be a pilot. You know, I didn't have to be home. And um, I just really enjoyed every, every little step of the way of learning to fly and um, move up through the, the realms of, you know, air ambulance to corporate flying, to regional flying, to mainline flying. And um, it was at that time I was sitting in the hotel room and our daughter, we worked with a surrogate to have a, a child. And that was when I was a first officer. And um, we, you know, it was an adoption for me. And um, I realized that I was seeing her 10 days a month when I was working at the regionals. And I didn't like that at all. It got to the point where I would get my uniform on, have the hat on, put my coat on, go in, in her crib, give her a little peck on the cheek, you know, say goodbye. And she would just bust out crying like every time. And then on the drive to work, I'm going, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You know, because I felt like God had given me a gift of this child and which I would have never had otherwise. And um, my husband and I were both doing the same job. We were constantly in a struggle to make our schedules fit where he was home or I was home. Uh, we lived in a base where we had no family, no support. We lived on top of a mountain in Pennsylvania, one of the uh, ridges in Pennsylvania between Pittsburgh and Harrisburg, and um, really had no one there to, that we could count on. Um, I made the decision to quit and stay home with my daughter and be a mom. And, you know, at the time, I was so excited to do that. And um, as she got older and moved out of the house, I was like, wow, <laughs> boy, I can be flying right now. But um you know, I live vicariously through my husband. He's a captain at American. Um, he's, he's a Czech airman now. Uh, I just got off the phone with him. You know, I hear all the war stories about being out in the line. 
um, you know, all the fun things, all the, the crazy things. And, um, you know, it still lets me live with that adventure. And as you know, being a pilot wife for 30 some years yourself, you get to travel. You know, these are all the wonderful things that we still get to do. You know, we get to travel, we get to, at the drop of a hat, maybe say, hey, I can go on that overnight with you. Um, or if it's close enough, I can drive and meet you. Um, you know, I drove and met him on an overnight uh, this summer and I brought beach chairs and I brought a cooler for us and packed it in the car three and a half hours later, I was there when him and I were on the beach together having a blast. So there's so much fulfillment in this job. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, do you know where your husband is? And I'm like, up there somewhere. In the wide blue yonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, he's up there somewhere, you know, and, you know, we just have that, um, you know, that basic understanding and trust and, and, and love and contentment um, to know that, you know, he's going to work and I don't, I don't bother him. I don't text him. As a matter of fact, he called and he goes, you don't write, you don't call. <laughs> trying to make me feel guilty. No. Um, but you know, I just let him call when he can and um, it works for us. And, you know, sometimes things happen at home, like we all talk about and you think, God, I wish I knew where he was. I don't have a schedule. You know, I don't know how to reach him. You know, I just dial his phone and leave a message or a text. So what else are you thinking? Yeah. So I want to back up just a little bit, um, a lot actually. So okay. <laughs> how, how did you meet him? Where, what, at what point in who's, where were you both in your career? So he was, he was a pilot at us air mm -hmm. and you were flight attendant at us air. Okay. So that's where, you, when you met. Yes. So what did we, yes. Um, we met and I was already fl a flight instructor and, okay. and working as a flight attendant. And it just so happened that I got on a trip and it was a deadhead from Pittsburgh to Baltimore. And the a passenger needed to sit by their family member. So they asked me if I would move from my seat. And so I turned around, I got up, I looked back, I saw emergency exit row seat open, there's some pilots sitting there. So I said, sure, you know, family, you guys sit together, I'll, I'll scoot to the back. So I sat down next to this pilot <laughs> and um, it happened to be him. <laughs> and I think he wanted to sleep on that trip in between, you know, flights. He wanted to maybe take a little snooze and I proceeded to be the blonde girl who sat there and talked the whole time. So I think, <laughs> I think, I think he could have waited until we landed. <laughs> but um, later on, we found out um, that we had some similar friends. U.S. Airways had a ski club. And um, some of the guys I flight instructed with were going skiing. And that's how we made the connection because Bob was also going skiing. And so one night I'm at the flight school and I'm teaching and I see this vehicle out because the window blinds were open in the classroom and I could see this vehicle out in the parking lot. And I saw some guy kind of walk up to the window and then he walked over by the door and I heard somebody come in. So I looked at the doorway and I see this guy and I'm like, that looks like that pilot I've, you know, I, I met on the airplane. And sure enough, it was, I said, are you stalking me? <laughs> 
So he didn't have your number or anything. He just yeah, knew he, enough about you. He did because of the guys he met on the ski trip that okay. I flight instructed with. Okay. So that's how he found out where I was flight instructing. And um, he came up to the airport and he, um, you know, met me and asked if I wanted to go out to get something to eat or drink. And I said, yes. And then he proceeded another time to call me after that and asked me if I would go on a date with him. And I said, oh, like, you know, I don't really date pilots. And <laughs> he's like, what does that mean? You are a pilot. And I said, you know, I just, I just want some normal Joe, you know? <laughs> and um, so he, he agreed to come with me and my friends to watch a football game because I, I wanted to have friends, you know, to put a buffer between us so that it wasn't a date. And so he called another time. He was persistent. And I asked him if he wanted to come watch another football game with us. And um, he decided that, you know, hey, I really want to go on a date with you, not go out with your friends. And so that was kind of the end of it. <laughs> so some time went by and I was uh, flying with my instructor to Florida and um, or on, we were we went to Florida. And we were flying an airplane to Milwaukee. We were scheduled to um, fly an airplane up to Milwaukee that night, and the we had a uh, gear failure and an engine failure on that flight. So we never did make it to Milwaukee. And in the process of that um, act, airplane airplane accident, I had broken my ankle, and so word spreads very quickly. You know how us ladies are on Facebook. <laughs> Word spreads really quickly, and I get a phone call from my husband, from Bob, saying that um, I heard that you broke your ankle. I bet you're really bored sitting at home. Would you like to go to dinner and a movie? <laughs> so we've been together ever since that day. <laughs> he finally wore you down, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a you know we talk about that. He even has a. I don't know, some little napkin from our first date and remembers the date of our first date together. And I don't even remember that. So he's very, um, what's the word? A romantic, it sounds yeah. like. Romantic. Sentimental, romantic. Sentimental. That would be a good word to describe him. Yes. Well, that's yeah. fabulous. So then how long did you date and then you got married? Yeah. So um, we dated, we must have met 94 um, actually started dating in 95 and got married in 97 and our daughter was born in 99. Okay. Okay. So um, tell us if you're open to it. Um, mm -hmm. did you know pretty quickly on that you were going to use a surrogate that you were going to go ahead, that you were going to try for a child? Um, I didn't even know that existed. Um, I knew about adoption um, and, you know, we talked about that and we had, we didn't even have a computer. So Bob, our first computer had to be a laptop because we figured with travel, we could take it with us instead of a desktop. So we were sitting in the living room one night looking at the computer and he told me that he had um, read an article about an attorney in, in Pennsylvania that had a child through surrogacy. And he was thinking that maybe we should make an appointment and find out some information about it, see what, how that works. So we did. And um, we ended up working with the attorney, filling out all this paperwork. I had to do a biography so that we could share it with a potential um, surrogate mom. And, you know, I learned about surrogacy at that point. I learned about traditional surrogate, uh, surrogates, tr um, gestational surrogates, um, 
And I kept saying, no, not her. No, not that one. No, that one sounds like she just wants to have babies, you know, like manufacture them or something, you know, no, no. And, you know, this is all while I'm, you know, I'm progressing in my career as a pilot too. So that really did play into this. And um, I finally, you know, went and talked to the um, one lady that he had found for us because he did an extensive interview process with people and had them fill out like 70 pages of information about themselves. And um, it wears people down and really gets people, weeds them out. And he called me and he said, I found a girl who looks like you, talks like you, you got to meet her. And we did. And um, that's how we ended up working with Kim and her husband, Garner, to um, have our daughter. So that's that was, fascinating. Yeah, we learned all about surrogacy in 98. And then, um, you know, we did the art- artificial insemination in October of eight, uh, 98. And yeah, she was born in 99. Very cool. So then, and then how old was she when you made the decision to quit and stay home? Oh, goodness. Um, I want to say maybe a year and a half or something like that. Okay. Was it before Uh, 9-11? A year or, you know, maybe it was right around 9-11. That's what it it, it should have been right around 9-11. Yeah. 99. I just didn't know if you were still flying during that time of 9-11. Actually, you know, I was. I was flying at 9-11 because I remember taking Nicolette to my parents to visit my mom's um, in Pennsylvania. And um getting the phone calls, you know, of everybody saying, well, you know, are you okay? Where are you? Yeah. So long time ago, that was, <laughs> it sure changed the world of aviation, didn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It did. I mean, it changed the world, yeah, but it, it changed. certainly changed the world of aviation. No doubt about it for sure. Okay. So then you um, were a stay home mom. I was. And, and then what, what next in your career? I know you're in real estate now. Was that your next venture? Or is there any more? Um, you know? Well, you know, when I quit, it was to be a mom, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to retire now from work. And of course, you know, 9-11, things fell so apart after that with pay cuts and you know, equipment not flying. Bankruptcies. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. And, and me, I had, you know, voluntarily given up my income (laughs) by quitting. So it was, you know, a big gamble for us financially. Um, It was very hard and it was a, you know, some of the worst times in our, in our marriage, I think. Um, So I went back to flight instructing and we talked about, should I go back to flying? And we realized that we'd have the same exact situation that we had before. We're not living in a place where we have any family support. You know, we're going to be struggling with our schedules again. Um, As the child gets older, we're going to have to worry about how they get into school, who's picking them up. We're going to have to hire a nanny. Um, So we just decided that, you know, I wanted to be your mom and try and stay in place. And my husband suggested, what about real estate? Because he had had a real estate license when he was a pilot um, in Pittsburgh. So I thought, oh, I never thought about being a real estate agent. You know, I never did. And um, my thought was, oh, maybe we can do some real estate investing. And that's why I'll do it. Um, But then after 9-11, we didn't have any money to do real estate investing, you know. And um, 
So, you know, I happily learned real estate and, and I've been doing it for 16 years and it's probably one of the most fun things I get to do is, um, you know, just help people. I love to help people. So for me, it's, you know, it's a big expense. And if I can help somebody navigate the waters of that, you know, it makes me feel good at the end of the day. It makes them happy. So it's good. All good. At what point did you guys relocate to North Carolina? Right after I quit because we bought property here for retirement at an airport. You know, because we thought, what a way to spend our retirement. You know, we'll just buy this land and then we'll build there someday. And I was living, like I said, on top of a ridge in snowy Pennsylvania. So I said, okay, well, part of the deal is I get to, we get to move to North Carolina, right? And he was based in first in Philly and then he went to Baltimore and we moved here and he was commuting. And um, yeah, we made it work out. You know, there were nights that he had to hop, you know, a Learjet out of Charlotte just to try and get to base up in Philly or to Baltimore. Um, you know, but we did what we had to do. So. so tell us about living in an air park. You have an airplane, right? You guys do. do. We have an airplane. His name is Archie. And um, he is the color. The paint color is blue, like the Carolina blue skies that are always seem to be here in North Carolina. And um, he's a Piper Archer. So he, hence the name Archie. And um, it's a four seater, small airplane, um, enough for, you know, the three of us to go around. We um, use it to go visit my family for family reunions up in Canada. Uh, we used it when uh, my mom was still living in Pennsylvania, we would fly up there. Uh, we fly to the beach, we fly to Sun and Fun, um, we've flown up to Oshkosh. So it's things like that. And then when my daughter went to college, you know, it was like, oh, what better excuse to fly the airplane? Let's go fly and to see Nicolette over at college. So we would do that. So um, yeah, we have, um, a, what is it? A 60 by 60 by 50 airplane hangar. And um, fits our airplane just perfect. And we're all happy to be here. It's a great community. I can't believe what it is like to live with a bunch of other pilots. I'll bet. So tell us about that. Tell us what some of the, like open us up to that world. Cause yeah. that's, that's a very small sector of the world that ever experiences that even if you are in aviation. So, yeah, tell it us is. so you know, in, in my days of learning to fly and being around aviators, I used to remember thinking, Saturday morning, if I was off, I'd be like, oh, I got to go up to the airport. Everybody's up there drinking coffee and talking, you know, talking aviation together. And I really enjoyed that. Well, I live that like 24 seven now here in an air park. Um, you can be as active as you want to be, or you can stay home. doesn't matter. But I happen to live in an air park where the people here are like, we're like one big family. And there's always something one of us are doing, you know, either we want to go to a winery together or we want to have um, an open house for, for the holiday um, or, you know, beep, beep, somebody's at your boat dock out back on Lake Norman saying, come on, let's go to dinner. Um, and then you have the hangers that are open and everyone has a golf cart and we zoom around you know, usually hear people say it's five o'clock somewhere referring to like get a drink, but here it's, it's five o'clock somewhere whose hangar door is open. 
<laughs> you know, so you get to go visit your neighbors. If the door is open nine times out of 10, you're visiting with them. And um, same, you know, vice versa goes with, you know, at our house. So um, it's been a fun experience. Um, we have a little grass strip. It's 3000 foot long. It's surrounded by all the waters of, of Lake Norman. It's so pretty here. We have um, access to, you know, boat launch. Um, we have community boat slips. We actually bought a lot that is um, waterfront. So we don't have to worry about a boat slip in the community dock. So it's just a heaven, a little slice of heaven. And you have a boat too. We do. We have yeah. a boat. Yeah. So um, we just. Planes, trains, and automobiles. All you need. Well, I guess that's not with boats, but <laughs> you've definitely got it going on for sure. Yeah. It's so much fun. I, I just feel, you know, when COVID hit, I remember thinking, oh, gonna be, can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm an adventure girl. You know, I'm, I've got the fire under me to go, go, go. And I, it was very hard for me not to go, you know, I'm listening to everything on the news and going, what the heck is this virus thing and feeling stuck in the house. And um, I thought to myself, boy, am I lucky, you know, look outside, you know, you have a, a beautiful lake and a beautiful home, an airplane, you can go fly. You, you are blessed in, in countless ways. So um, we had like, when we first started building our house here, we didn't even hardly have the money to do it. And we cut out a lot of things, you know, um, and then over the years we added stuff, um, you know, we did what we could afford and then we added to it as the paycheck got better along the way. <laughs> That's so. the way it works, right? Really? I mean, for most people, it really yeah. is. It's easy to look at somebody once they've gone through all that and think, oh, that's the life. And it is the life, but it's something that you plan for and you work for and you sacrifice in other areas. And then you ultimately get that. And it is yeah. beautiful. I could remember, you know, you mentioned the word sacrifice. I could remember um, thinking about living here because the air park at the time was, you know, a good 30 minute drive from anything like even a grocery store. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm used to not being more than like eight minutes from a grocery store. So um, I, you know, used to, I had to learn to take a cooler with me in my car because it gets so hot here in the summer that if you had to run a bunch of errands and, and it had to do with any food, you, you better have an ice pack and the cooler in the back. So um, that part was a sacrifice, you know, for me. Um, living so far out. And we were the very first house to build here. We had no neighbors. Wow. And I'm like in the middle of 150 acres in the dark at night when my husband's going on a trip for three or four days. And I'm like, I feel like I'm living in a fishbowl because we have a lot of windows and we don't have coverings on most of them, or we didn't in the beginning. And, um, you know, it just, it, it was kind of a scary thing. It was, I wasn't live, used to living in the woods and I was surrounded by woods on a lake. <laughs> so, um, that was a sacrifice on, you know, that I made, but I willingly made it. Yeah. So, and now how close is your grocery store? Oh, our grocery store is eight minutes. <laughs> um, I no longer just look at trees. I look at other people's houses <laughs> and, um, I'm just really blessed because the lot that was going to be probably vacant forever, I kept bugging the neighbor because I really liked her. She was from Ohio and I had met her a couple of times when she came for our fly-in. We have an annual fly-in here at the last weekend of September every year. 
And I'd say, when are you going to build here? When are you going to build here? Come be my neighbor. And um, they finally are building. Their house is currently under construction. And, you know, I mean, I couldn't be more blessed. Great people. Um, almost they feel like they're family. You know, they almost feel like a sister and a brother to me. Um, it's such an odd thing, but they do. That's how close we've become. So um, I'm really excited to have them as neighbors and to bring them into our community with everyone else here. So it's, it's so nice. Thing. Community is everything. Let's um, so let's talk about the Pilot Wives community a little bit. I, I have the benefit with you that we've actually met in person. Um, so not everyone, in fact, most people who I interview and who are on the podcast, I have never met, but we had the opportunity to meet back in May of this year when I hosted a pilot wife fly in here in Scottsdale and you bravely got on an airplane with your other good friend, Jill yes. um, Jean, and you guys came out and stayed at my house and we actually got to meet. So talk a little bit just about the value and like the community within pilot wives too, and, and what we can build. Oh. Goodness gracious. I want to tell you, I, I mean, I, I, I know other people have said this, but my wholeheartedly, I mean, I feel it inside how I wish we would have had this so, so long ago, you know, when I was, you know, a new person in aviation didn't know, I mean, like tens of thousands of questions, you know, who do you ask? And, um, you know, I think this group has given me people um, that are familiar with our lifestyle and the craziness of non-revving around and, you know, maybe recommendations on where they went and how, you know, maybe we should go there instead of someplace else we were thinking. And I mean, it's just a community that is a community that's worth so much. I mean, like, it's like this gigantic piece of gold that somebody handed me, um, you know, that you can reach out and just ask a question and somebody is going to answer you. <laughs> So I just, you know, I'm, I'm totally blessed by this group. And, you know, I think about some of the younger um, aviators and their wives that are in our group. And I'm so glad we're here for them so that we can answer questions and that you can do something like this amazing idea you have here for a podcast because they can listen to it and they can, you know, hear our experiences. And, um, you know, when people tell their stories of life, you know, there's wisdom in that and there's learning in that. And um, I can remember those feelings of anxiousness and being alone and, oh, how much I hated the holidays because I was always alone. And, um, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I must be the only one that's going through this, you know, because you do, you feel so alone. But with this group, Mm -mm, alone no more. And then when I had the opportunity, when I saw your face, on Facebook. And I'm like, who is this girl with this mud mask on her face? <laughs> and she's like, why don't you come Phoenix? <laughs> and I thought, whoever that is, I've got to meet her. <laughs> and so, you know, Jill and I talked about it and we were happy to get on an airplane and, and, and you were gracious and opened your door to us and didn't even know us and such an ultimate host. And um, I really look forward to doing more, more of that kind of thing together with, uh, you know, this huge group of women that we have as friends. Yes. And we definitely will for sure. I'd love that. Um, so just a final question. 
tell us, give us some wisdom and some thoughts. Um, you know, you were really a pioneer back in the day when there weren't, I mean, sadly still, I think it's only like 5% of the pilot community are women. Um, and you, it was even smaller when you paved the way, what are your thoughts around that in terms of encouraging women to maybe be explore the occupation, you know, be, becoming a pilot? What thoughts yeah. do you have around that? How can we be encouraging? Oh gosh. You know, I'm like, you know, the sky is not the limit. <laughs> you know, it is there for you to soar into and, um, you know, no holds barred. Don't listen. If you get most, most of the people I came across were so encouraging. And then you get a few, you know, thorns in there that would give you some kind of nasty comments or something. And you just, you know, cause you become headstrong about it really, you know, you're, you're a, a female in a man's world and um, you know, you learn from them they're, they have great patience. The, the men I've worked with have had you know, a lot of patience. They're good teachers. Um, you know, you just are a little vulnerable because you're, you're learning. And if you get someone who is willing to work with you, um, along the way, you know, the door is wide open and and it's open for, for all women and, you know, men today, not, not just guys. So, um, you know, it used to be where they would hire, you know, military pilots. Well, no, that's not even a thing anymore. And I knew that when I became a pilot, um, so I would just say, go for it, you know, and I think that if you can um, juggle and balance and you can be around a family support system, you know, that helps you and has your back um, or a good nanny, if you can afford it. Um, the hard part about it is when you started the commuters, like when I started, I mean, literally, I was making like 45000 as a flight attendant. And when I got my first pilot job at the regionals, I made $19,000. Yeah. I took this huge pay cut to become a pilot. Um, but I knew that if I put my time in through the years, my, my paycheck would go up and I was willing to make that, that sacrifice as well. So, um, you know, today the, they pay so much better. So it's like, heck, why not just do it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm on, a, I'm on an aviation page um, for female pilots on Facebook. And, um, you know, it's a flight training uh, page. So it's a lot of fun to try and help other women. Oh, I know the question I was going to ask you that I forgot. You have met and flown with some celebrities in aviation. So just tell us a little bit about some of your experiences with some of those famous aviators (laughs) who you've not only flown with, but then had come speak and different things like that. Sure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I used to fly sometimes after we purchased um, PSA airlines out in California, I would fly out to California and work a four day trip out there. So I would be out in the West coast. And so we would a lot of times go LA to, you know, New York, LA flights. And so I did get to meet, you know, different like celebrities, singers, things like that. You know, they'd show up in your first class cabin. And when I was a flight attendant, um, also, a fun story when I was a flight attendant is um, I went on a trip and one of my favorite, favorite overnights was San Francisco. Love San Francisco. And the captain I was flying with, um, I think two of the flight attendants had friends they were meeting. 
the first officer's wife was with him. And so the captains and I said, well, do you want to go get something to eat together? He said, yeah, yeah, sure. And so we met in the lobby and he said, um, what are you hungry for? And I said, oh, I'm an adventurous, you know, um, I'll try anything, you know, whatever. Do you have any suggestions? And he said, well, I like Thai food. Do you like Thai food? And I said, I don't know. I never had it. So we went to, uh, we walked in San Francisco, went to a Thai restaurant. And um, I said, well, you do the honors to order from for me because I don't even know what's on this menu. And he ordered. And that person that I'm talking about is uh, Captain Sullenberger, Sully. And um, so he was my you know, introduction to Thai food and, um, you know, ordered my food for me. We enjoyed uh, dinner together. And um, I really, I had flown with Sully many times. He was uh, based in Pittsburgh. He would fly in from um, out West and, um, you know, gracious man, just, uh, you know, soft-spoken, um, intelligent, kind, caring of his crew, um, you know, and when, when, and I worked with, you know, his flying partner, Jeff in the uh, Miracle on the Hudson flight. And, um, you know, I've, I've known both of them from U.S. Airways. And, um, you know, I have that little place in my heart when that accident happened. It was just, you know, it's really something when you know, know the person that's on the flight. And uh, so for then, those who don't necessarily know or, or are young enough, maybe that they don't know that story, who she's referring to is Captain Sullenberger, who was the miracle on the Hudson, the airplane that, you know, had the catastrophe, hit the bird strike and had to land, had to pick a place to land and miraculously landed that airplane in the middle of a river. And there were no casualties and very few injuries. Where were you, Jill, when that happened? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I don't even recall where I was when that happened, to be honest with you. Um, I guess we were living here in the Charlotte area. Um, and then I remember not too long after that, you know, um, they, U.S. Airways had a reception for the whole crew. And uh, it was here in Charlotte. And uh, ultimately, that's where the airplane came to. It came to our aviation museum at the Charlotte airport. And so we had this airliner in this museum. And it was just an amazing um, experience um, to be able to meet the crew, talk, you know, talk to them post-accident, you know, and, and hear their experience. And especially some of the flight attendants and you know what they went through back there in the back of that airplane, you know, when water was coming in and trying to get people out. And, you know, it really is a miracle on the Hudson River because, I mean, I've, when I was a regional pilot and a flight attendant, I mean, that's where I went in and out of all day, all day long, in and out of LaGuardia, LaGuardia, Newark. Um, and, you know, it's a bunch of concrete. It's a concrete jungle, like the song says. So <laughs> uh, for Sully to pick that waterway and put that airplane down and there, he, you know, was a glider pilot um, and he knew how to handle that airplane. So if there was anybody that could have been at the controls that day, he was the one. So Great very, uh, yeah, it is, it's, you know, it's, I cherish, you know, that I, that I know those folks and he, didn't he recently, I heard in the news, um, he is the representative for ICAO now. He got a, a elected for a position. Oh. So he's just, 
you know, continues in his retirement, he continues to give back, give back, give back, you know, his knowledge uh, for safety in our industry. So I, um, I would love it if there, if there was a way that we could get his email or his phone number and have him on your podcast. I'm putting it out there to the universe. So anybody listening to this that can help us, I, I would love to have he and his wife come on. So if you have a connection, just send, have them contact me at Jackie at pilotwifepodcast.com. Now you also um, have had a role in the 99s, the women's organization. Tell us about that and tell us who your special guest speaker was at an event. So uh, in the 99s, of course, that was our female pilot, one of the female pilot organizations. And when I was a, um, you know, student pilot, that's what I joined that, that group. And I met aviators. Most of them were either retired female pilots or, you know, one was a captain on the 777 at United. Um, you know, they were in our life. We used to go and um, have meetings together, do uh, fundraising together so that we could get funds to give scholarships to other female aviators who wanted to learn to fly. Um, and we had an international conference once a year. And at the time that I was real involved in the 99s, uh, we were meeting in Norfolk, Virginia, and um, we needed to have a keynote speaker. And so I just had this harebrained idea, you know, that I could, who do I know? They could tell a good story about an experience in aviation to, to a bunch of women pilots. So um, again, I went to my friend in Colorado um, and I asked her if she had a contact for me for Captain Al Haynes. And Captain Haynes is the one you might have remember the story or you can look it up if you're not familiar. Um, he landed his airplane full of passengers in a cornfield. Um, they lost all hydraulics and that is something no one ever trained for, not even in a simulator scenario. Um, and, you know, there, there were people that, obviously a lot of people that lived on that flight. Um, so I was able to get, um, reach out to him. And I said, could you please come and speak for us? And we'll pay you your hotel room. I know you fly for free. <laughs> I will pay for your, you know, we'll pay for your hotel room. And, um, you know, we'll provide you food. And he was absolutely. So um, I can remember walking out on the stage the, the, at the time for our, you know, for him to be the speaker. And um, I got to go up to the microphone and tell a little bit about his story just as an introduction. And um, you know, then I welcomed him to the stage and he took the microphone and, and told everybody his story in his own words. And you know, what, um, feeling do you get when you're in the presence of someone who has been in that in an experience like that flying an airplane so i know that in my own um experience in aviation of land you know having gear up landings when we have mechanical failures you know um you know the engine you know quitting on a twin engine airplane and having to do an emergency landing um you know, multiple things that can happen when you're flying an airplane. And, you know, I always look to those memories I have from the wonderful pilots I've met in my lifetime, you know, kind of growing up in aviation over the last 30 years. And I know that I can do it because I know they've done it before me. You know what I mean? So 
it's just the testimony of those pilots that keeps you going when you're out there flying an airplane and you face, you're personally faced with an emergency situation. So it's a lot of fun, you know, to have those people in your life or at least come across them. That's very empowering. I love that. That's such a great story. And tell us what, what is the 99s for anybody wondering? Sure. Um, the 99s, there's another uh, group that's women in aviation that seems to have gotten really um, a, a big group now. Um, but the 99s is, um, you know, named after, I, I believe, Amelia Earhart, you know, was their, you know, their female aviator. Um, and, you know, it was just a group of women aviators who were, you um, trying to help other females get into the field of aviation. And um, we would go around to local little airports, such as the one I live in, and we would paint compass roses um, either on a tarmac or something so that it was a visual of what is north, south, east, and west when you're flying over. Um, you know, we would do that free. That was volunteerism. And um, we would, like I said, do fundraising, um, to try and give scholarships to other females that wanted to learn aviation. We would get together and have dinner and we'd listen to the experience of other aviators who had more experience than us. So that was a great, great group. I love it. Well, Jill, thanks so much for sharing your, your rich story. It's fabulous. Um, what a journey that you've had. What a great adventure. And I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that you're doing these podcasts because I love listening to every one of them and hearing everyone's experience. And we have you to thank for that. So thank you and all your guests. Absolutely. My privilege. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Hope to see Bye. you soon. Mwah. Yes, Bye. we'll see you soon. <laughs> okay. Take care. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.